All right, Ezekiel chapter 43. We're going to pick up in chapter 43. We studied part of it last week. We're going to go right back into it tonight and talk about the millennial reign of Christ. I believe that uh, these last chapters of Ezekiel, starting at chapter 40 and going through the end of the book, refer to the millennial time or the millennial kingdom that Jesus will set up here on the earth uh, during that millennial time. So we'll talk about that to give you a little more detail about that as we go through. But that's why I've entitled our Bible study tonight, The Millennial Reign of Christ. So we want to begin reading now at Ezekiel chapter 43. And let me just start at verse 1 and we'll read down through verse 7. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, and this is Ezekiel talking about a man, actually an angel, uh, who was bronze in color, and uh, this angel is showing him around the temple and the, uh, the temple area there in Jerusalem. This is a vision that Ezekiel had. It is the last vision that he had. Uh, he is, just to remind you, he is a priest and also a prophet who is living in Babylon with all the other exiles. But God gave him a series of visions where he would take him actually to Jerusalem, or in the case of the dry bones, he took him uh, to a cemetery type place in Israel. But he's here in this last uh, vision, God takes him back to Jerusalem one last time. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Kibar, and I fell on my face. He saw the glory of the Lord, and therefore he fell on his face. And the glory of the Lord, verse 4, came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And again, just as a reminder, earlier in Ezekiel, chapters 10 and 11, Ezekiel had seen the Spirit of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, depart from the temple and depart from the city. And so now, all these chapters later, he is seeing this, the same glory of God return to the city, return to the temple from the same direction that it had left uh, all that time ago. And then let's look now at verse 6. Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple. That, that is the Lord speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings by their harlotry or with the carcasses of their kings on their high places. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Your word is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we receive your word tonight, and we pray that your word would speak deeply to our hearts 
And Lord, thank you again for the privilege of being here. We know, Lord, we're here by your grace. And so we want to make the best of the time that we have together. We will not boast of what tomorrow may bring because we don't know whether we'll even be here. But Lord, we want to be faithful to you for every moment that you give us. And Father, we thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us strength and confidence and, and, uh, and Lord, wisdom to live daily in a way that pleases you. And that's our desire, to please you every day and every moment. So Lord, do we pray that you would uh, just open the eyes of our hearts and speak deeply to the deepest needs of each of our hearts. And we pray it all in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. The millennial reign of Christ. Point number one, Christ will reign from Jerusalem. He will return to the earth, and having returned to the earth, he will reign from Jerusalem. Actually, specifically, in the temple that we've just read about in verses 6 and 7. And let me read that for you again. After he said in verse 5, the Spirit lifted me up, and I saw the glory of the Lord fill the temple, and I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So here the Lord is saying, this is where I will reign. This is where I will rule and I will be among my people. It's always been God's desire to be among his people. Going way back uh, into the Garden of Eden when he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening and then sin brought uh, the, uh, the destruction of their relationship. And uh, because of that, We've been estranged from God ever since, but God has always wanted to be among his people. He said that to them in Exodus chapter 25 before he gave to Moses the plan for the tabernacle. I want to be among my people. Here he says, I'm going to be among my people forever. Never again will they walk in sin. They will walk in righteousness from this time forward. Well, when is that going to happen? It's going to happen at the millennium or during the millennium. What is the millennium? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to see what the Bible says about this word, this term called the millennium. It is a word which means 1,000, 1,000 years, and uh, it comes after the second coming of Christ. So let's look at Revelation chapter 19, uh, rather chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years." Now, we're going to see that term thousand years five times over the first seven verses in this chapter. Thousand years, thousand, the, the word thousand uh, in the Latin language is M-I-L-L-E, mille. So we get uh, millennium from that word. 
And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he, who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So that is where we get the term millennium. It is right out of the word of God in Revelation chapter 20. It is that period of time, 1,000 years in length, when Christ will, will reign physically, bodily, the whole earth from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is today the most important city in the world. And at that time, it is going to be the capital of the entire world. Jerusalem is more important today than Beijing or New York or London or Paris or any other city you could name because it is the focus of the promises of God and what God has promised, He will perform. And so we see that Christ will reign from Jerusalem, specifically the temple, and the temple will need to be built during the millennium so that Christ can reign from there. How many temples are there in the Bible? Well, there is the first temple that Solomon built. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. There is the second temple that was built uh, by Zerubbabel and others. It stood for over 400 years. It was improved on or added to by Herod, the king, who was the king at the time that Jesus was born. That temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Then the third temple is going to be the temple that will be built during the Great Tribulation time. It will be built in Jerusalem where an, a Muslim mosque is standing today, where the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aska Mosque is standing today. It'll have to be torn down, and then there will be a temple that, that was built, that will be built then during the, uh, the uh, Great Tribulation. And that temple is the one where the Antichrist will appear and demand to be worshipped as God. Uh, then he will, uh, there's lots of other things that go on during that time. But that temple will also be destroyed, which will make room then for this temple, the fourth uh, and final temple that will be built. There, there, is, there are actually two more temples that I'll mention. One of them is you and me, 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit now on the earth. There is not a physical temple uh, that, has, that is standing today, uh, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then at the very end of time, uh, after this temple goes away as well, because it'll go away, the millennial temple will go away when the, when the uh, old earth, this earth, is burned up or when it's destroyed And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and it will not have a physical temple in it because it tells us in Revelation that the Lord God himself will be the temple. And so uh, this fourth temple is the temple that will be built during the time of the millennial reign of Christ. Now, just to uh, get the flow of the end time events, I've given you this, I've given this to you a couple of times in the last few weeks. But uh, uh, just so that you'll have it in your mind when this is going to happen, the next thing that I believe that's on the prophecy table uh, in the Scripture is that the rapture of the church will happen, and that's when we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Before that, it'll be the resurrection of those who know the Lord uh, at the same time, and then we'll be caught up. Uh, together with them in the clouds. Then the, uh, after the church is gone, the Antichrist will appear. I don't believe he can appear until the church is gone because the church is the only thing that's keeping all the, well, you say, I'm about to say all the evil from happening in the world. Well, we're not doing a real good job of that, are we? Uh, but uh, when the church is gone, it is going to be multiplied uh, by a million times worse than what we see today. And then the great tribulation will come. That's a seven-year period of tribulation on the earth. During the seven-year tribulation on the earth, the church will be in heaven, will be experiencing the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus. At the end of uh, the tribulation, at the end of the marriage supper, is when the Lord Jesus returns in glory. And uh, the battle of Armageddon uh, will be fought, although it won't be much of a battle. Jesus will destroy the armies with the breath of his mouth, and then uh, that's Armageddon, and then at the, at the end of the millennium, uh, rather at the end of the uh, great tribulation, is when the Old Testament saints are raised from the dead. And the Old Testament saints will be alive uh, along with those of us who know the Lord, part of the church, will all be alive during the, the uh, millennial reign of Christ on the earth. So, what is Jesus going to be doing during the millennial reign in which he is reigning? Well, for that, there's, there's many places in the Bible that speak of it, but one of them that is very clear and plain is in Psalm, the book of Psalms, the second Psalm, describes Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem, and I believe this is during his millennial reign. So let me read with you, if you'd like to turn uh, and uh, read with me a few verses here. We won't read the entire psalm, but uh, we will read the first few verses. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces 
and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. This is God the Father saying, I have set my king on the holy hill of Zion. That is the hill uh, on which the temple will be built. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And listen to this. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The first time Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless and pure life, he came to save us from our sins. The second time he's coming, he's coming as the judge of all the earth. And this is why it says he will rule with a rod of iron. He is ruling the nations that refuse to bow down to him during this millennial reign of Christ. He is ruling with a rod of iron. That's one of the things that he will be doing during the millennial reign that he has. Now then, back in Ezekiel chapter 43, I want to point out another couple of things to you uh, on over uh, in the chapter, we're told about uh, an altar that is there in the temple. It's the only piece of furniture that is in this temple. It's an altar, probably an altar of incense, where, which uh, was one that was representative of the prayers as the smoke would go up. Uh, it would be the prayers of God's people going up to him. Uh, and then you also have uh, some, uh, some uh, verses here about Levites and priests, if you'll look at verse 19 of chapter 43, you'll give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are of the seed of Zadok, who approached me to minister to me. There were Levites, and a part of the Levites were of the, of the clan of Zadok, and they have special duties during the time of the millennium. And then if you will look over in chapter 44 and verse 3, as for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it, that is where the gate is, to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule on the gateway and go out the same way. This person who is the prince is quite prominent in various places in the book of Ezekiel. Lots of people have uh, tried to figure out who this prince is. I think it's very simple and plain. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, we are told that the prince is King David. So King David will be sitting, he will be on a throne as well in Jerusalem. He will, of course, be under the lordship of Christ, but he will be physically sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. He's called a prince, uh, but this is who Ezekiel is talking about, and he is... Uh, uh, some people have said that they felt like the priest was Jesus. That can't be the case because the, the prince is told by Ezekiel to offer an, an offering for his sin. And so it can't be Jesus because he has none. Uh, but anyway, we have here uh, several verses and portions of these chapters that speak about the priests and their role during the time of the millennium. 
So with that in mind, I want us to go to point number two now, and we're going to look at point number two. Portions of the land will be distributed among 12 tribes. So not only will Jesus be reigning from Jerusalem, there's more stuff that's going to be going on during that time. Portions of the land will be distributed <clears throat> among 12 tribes. Now the land at this time, the land of Israel, has different dimensions that it has today and that it had at other times during the history of Israel. We're told that here in these chapters that the uh, land of Israel is going to be roughly, if you can picture the land of uh, the Holy Land, if you're familiar with the geography, just above Israel is Lebanon. And if you can kind of picture where Lebanon is, you draw a line from Lebanon across into Syria where Damascus is. That'll be the northern boundary of Israel. You come down from Damascus and find the, uh, the Jordan River. That will be the eastern boundary of Israel. And you keep going on further south and draw a line across over uh, to the river of Egypt. And that's the southern boundary in Ezekiel for the nation of Israel. And then the Mediterranean Sea is the western boundary. And so what we read in the book of Ezekiel is that the tribes, the 12 tribes, will have land assigned to them during the millennium. Now, it's not the same uh, uh, portions. It's not divided out the same during the millennium as it was during the days of Joshua. If you go back to Joshua, you'll remember that the land was divided up among uh, 12 uh, 12 tribes, uh, although the Levites didn't have land. And so Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were given land, uh, each of them given land. But anyway, we get over now to uh, Ezekiel, where we are, and we see that uh, the 12 sons of Jacob are going to have land assigned to them. And so let's look here at verse 28 of chapter 44 because this is a very insightful verse to tell us about what God's intentions are about the Levites. It shall be in regard to their inheritance that I am their inheritance. You shall give them no possession in Israel for I am their possession. They shall eat the grain of they shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, every dedicated thing in Israel shall be theirs. So here's God taking care of the Levites. Now we're going to see in a few minutes that what this means is that they did not have the same kind of apportioned land that all the other tribes did. They do have some land, but it's not the same as the other tribes. Their land is going to be right in the center of the country, right next to Jerusalem. But here God is saying to them, Levites, you don't get land, but what you do get is me. Now let me ask you a question. Would you rather have land or would you rather have the Lord? I'd rather have Jesus. And houses or land, wouldn't you? And so the Levites here are not getting shortchanged. They're getting the better end of the deal. 
And we're glad today, aren't we, that we who know the Lord Jesus Christ are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in us. He has adopted us. We've been born again. We are in his family. He has come so that we might go and see him. He has come to dwell in us so that one day we can go and be with him forever. And so you and I are like the Levites of the Old Testament. We are the priests. The Bible tells us, in fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are a holy nation. We are the priests of the church. You and I, who know the Lord Jesus Christ, each one of us is a priest. You and I do not need to go to any other human being to approach the Lord. He has given us the right and the privilege to come before him. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. I hope you're availing yourself of that opportunity to go boldly to the throne of grace. You say, well, I don't feel like I can go boldly. Well, why not? You're invited to go boldly. The only reason we might not go boldly is because we are ashamed of something in our life that we need to get right with. God. So just take care of that. You know, he says if, if uh, we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't let anything in your life keep you from going boldly before the throne of grace. Think of all the blessings you and I may have missed by failing to pray as God has invited us to pray. And so you and I have the privilege as, as the New Testament priests to go before the throne of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the Levites heard the lords through, through Ezekiel say, I am your inheritance. And then we read on over, in uh, chapter 48, if you'll turn over to chapter 48 with me, you will see here that uh, this is where Ezekiel records for us the various tribes and the portion of land that they are assigned. So look with me, <clears throat> starting at verse 1 of chapter 48. Now these are the names of the tribes from the northern border along the road to Hethlon, at the entrance of Hamath, to Hazar-Enan, and the border of Damascus northward, in the direction of Hamath, there shall be one section for Dan, from its east to its west side. And then verse 2, by the border of Dan is Asher, and then by the border of Asher is Naphtali, Naphtali, Manasseh, Manasseh, Ephraim, Ephraim, Reuben, Reuben, Judah. And then when you get to Judah, you have the allotment for the city of Jerusalem, for the temple, and for the Levites. This is where they do get their land, but it's right there at the temple area. By the border of Judah, it gives us all of this. Uh, and then it says, verse 9, the district that you shall set apart for the Lord shall be 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width. To these, to the priests, the holy district shall belong. On the north, 25,000 cubits in length. On the west, 10,000 in width. 
on the east 10,000 in width and on the south 25,000 in length. The sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the center. It shall be for the priests of the sons of Zadok who are sanctified, who have kept my charge, who did not go astray when the children of Israel went astray as the Levites went astray. You see that the Lord here is making a distinction between the those who are the descendants of Zadok and all the other Levites. All the other Levites fell into idolatry before God judged them by sending the nation of Israel over to Babylon. But the, the priests who are the descendants of Zadok did not follow into that same pathway of sin. And so now, during the millennial reign, what, what they find out is that because of their previous activity, the rest of the Levites are doing what we might call a lesser work. But the, the, the Zadokites, <laughs> Zadokites uh, they are given the privilege of offering, actually offering uh, the, uh, the offerings to the Lord. So they are, they are given the privilege of being closer to the Lord than the other Levites were. Now then, when Ezekiel here is describing this area in Israel where the temple is, where the city is, and where the land of the Levites uh, is, what you discover as you study this is that this is a block, a square block, that is 8.3 miles on each side. And so it's, a, it's going to be a big place, and uh, it's much bigger than the original uh, city of Jerusalem and so on were. But um, God has a reason for that, and um, he will uh, show us what that is as we go through. But this is the land that the tribes, the various tribes of Israel will be assigned. And I did not go on to the end of chapter 48, but you'll read there if you go on through the rest of it that you'll see that the other tribes were given their allotments as well, uh, seven north of Jerusalem and five south of Jerusalem. And uh, you'll see those as you continue on, Benjamin and Simeon and so on. And so what we have there are the uh, plots of land where the uh, Israelites' tribes will uh, have the land assigned to them. Now, some people have said, well, that's impossible because the Jews uh, have gotten so mixed in with Gentiles and with each other, uh, intermarried tribes and so on, that nobody even knows who the Jews are anymore. Well, excuse me, don't we serve a God who is omniscient? He knows everything, doesn't he? He knows where the Jews are and what tribes they're from. So it's not going to be any problem for him to identify which Jews are which and which uh, tribes they belong to. And I believe we can leave it up to the Lord to figure all that out, don't you? In fact, I think that it's, it is we who have to figure stuff out. I don't think God has to figure anything out. He just knows it. All right, now let me go on to point number three. Point number three, we're going to look at chapter 47 here. Point number three is this. 
the land will be renewed and refreshed. The land will be renewed and refreshed. All right, let me read some of these verses here now in chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured a 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000. And it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, whether the rivers go wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to uh, in Eglam, and they will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, exceedingly many, but its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for, good, for food and their leaves for medicine. Well, what's going on here? Well, Ezekiel gets to see here in vision form the renewing and the refreshing of the land of Israel beginning with the river that flows from under the threshold of the temple out into the valley east of Jerusalem, known as the Kidron Valley, 
And just beyond that is where the Mount of Olives stands today. But when Jesus comes, the book of Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that when Jesus comes again to the earth, he will touch his foot down on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will split in two, half of it going to the south and half of it moving to the north. And so when this water that's coming from the throne of God comes down on the hill and across the bottom of the valley called the Kidron Valley, it will continue in a straight line going out to the east to the Dead Sea. And that sea that has been dead for centuries will come to life. The sea is dead because it is a dead-end sea. There's nothing that lives in there, nothing that's alive. It is dead. This, these verses speak about fishermen who will fish in the Dead Sea, but people today do not fish in the Dead Sea. And do you know why? Because there's no fish in the Dead Sea. But that day and that time, there will be fish in the Dead Sea. And so fishermen are going to be gathered around the live sea, the living sea, because it won't be the Dead Sea any longer. It'll be the living sea, and they're going to be uh, dragging their nets or wetting their hooks or whatever they use to drag those fish out of the sea. There's going to be as many kinds of fish in the Dead Sea as there are in the Mediterranean. It's going to be overflowing with fish. And so it is a symbol, a picture, a reality of what God is going to do during the millennial reign of Christ. This world is going to be made beautiful again. There are deserts all over this world. There's some in North America, South America. There's some in Africa, in Asia, all over this world, in Australia. Deserts, just places that are dry and barren. But during this millennial reign of Christ, this world is going to come alive again. And we're going to see so many wonderful and exciting things happen. And I want you to uh, you really need to turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 2 because here, and I'll be finished here in just a minute. What time is it? It's about time to go. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me just stop right there. Will you come back next week? Okay. All right. Let me just stop right there. I'll leave you hanging. Yeah. And uh, we'll come back here. Somebody remind me where we are in case I forget next week. Uh, but uh, we will, uh, we'll pick up here next week and continue to talk about the millennial reign of Christ. And if you want to get ahead a little bit, I think I put these in. I may not have. Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 9. We're, I'm sorry, chapter 11. Isaiah 2 and chapter 11. We'll look at those next week and some other things as well. Okay.